We have made it. I don't where? know exactly. I have no idea where. <laughs> 100 episodes. Yes. We have made it to 100 episodes. Can wow. you believe it? Yeah. You can? I can, absolutely. Oh, stop lying. Nick Why, saw really? this coming. I like this. I, I, I have so much fun doing these. and it, Yeah, we've been at it for a while now. But Five years. But 100, that's a big number. Yeah, I've good. been a guest on 98 of them, yeah. right? I know. <laughs> Way to steal my jokes. Just about. <laughs> he's, so, he's so comfortable here. We don't even say whose the voice is. And he says, oh, and he just jumps in there with 98. Yeah, so we are celebrating our 100th episode today of the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. We've got a great conversation. We have special celebrity guests that would have been a surprise had he not said something <laughs> in the introduction. But Zach Gorchow is with us from uh, Gone Renew Service and Emily Grant from Michigan State University, two of our very, very first guests on this podcast. Wow. But they aren't, they aren't the, really, the important guests. The real guest, Chris Sell, um, Lansing 501, uh, stopped by as well to talk to us about all the great stuff he's got going on in Lansing. So, and, and folks that are, that listen and are going to attend his events, they're going to see some of us at some of those events. Some of us. Joe's going to be there. Joe's going to be there. He's already said he's going to be there. I thought he was leading the networking. (laughs) Nice. Right? He's like, networking? I'm there. (laughs) People? I love people. I'll be there. busy that day. (laughs) There's two events. Don't worry. You can make one. (laughs) But we'll see. It's the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Yep, I got it all. We got it. So your What do you want to do now? Was why don't we do this at the beginning of the Kurt episode? Okay. We'll put get Kurt put Kurt to bed. Nighty night, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the intro. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. That was incredibly creepy. <laughs> Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really? I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his desk. It's it's always here. It's always here. And by the way, the the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like one to ten. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. There's nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... Save it! <laughs> Welcome back. This is Matt Resch of the Resch Strategies team. This is the Cold Oatmeal Podcast, episode 100. We are a public affairs and a public relations firm headquartered in downtown Lansing, Michigan. We're going to talk a lot about Lansing today and all that's going on with uh, Chris Sell of Lansing 501. Um, you can find our podcasts at RushStrategies.com, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, at Rush Strategies. And I would strongly encourage you to sign on, log in, follow us on uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, because you get, you get alerted. And this is the last episode of Season 5, and so we're going to be taking a bit of a, a hiatus um, for the for the summer as we tend to do we got to 100 we're gonna we're, we're tired we're gonna take a little break so you, you subscribe someday this fall you might wake up to the happy news that we are back um so that's you'll only know that if you subscribe and you know maybe if you subscribe you'll find out that you know we may never come back and you'll never be bothered by us again but subscribe nonetheless we all but, jumped off a ferry if there's a dull news i think we'll there be should back. be a cliffhanger like, oh yeah am, am i gonna point. be murdered and then it's like which one of you murdered me and you have to wait the whole summer we could. That's do you want a to arrange great that? idea. We figure that out. <laughs> we I, should I'm, do that. I'm feeling like I'm being set up. <laughs> it worked for Dallas. That's right. A million years ago. Who shot Jr.? That is that is the murder chair you're sitting in there in the corner. So. Right. 
Or you murder Zach so you can be on more. <laughs> be like the oh, right. Yes. The competitiveness. But who's going to put out the breaking news alert? Oh. <laughs> anyway, let's go around the room. To my left. Anna Heaton. Nick DeLue is here. In the corner. Nikki O'Mara. Joe Beshi. And again, this is Matt. We're missing uh, missing our good friends Stephanie, uh, Laura, and Carly. They're with us in, in spirit, I'm sure. And you, you've probably figured out that uh, those voices uh, in the background, Emily Grant from Michigan State University, our first guest, episode number one, uh, Emily was our guest, and the guinea pig of it all, the guy <laughs> who started it all, Zach Gorchoff from Gonger, was um, our pilot episode um, in the August of whatever five years ago was. It's when we were recording in a different building, in a conference room. It, it's just a vastly different experience. Very yeah. And I listened to it today. The first, like the first fifteen minutes, it was excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> it was really bad. But before we get to talking uh, to Emily and Zach, Chris Sell uh, is with us. He is the executive director of Lansing Five Hundred One. It's a really cool organization. He started here in town to keep young people here and to get stuff going on downtown and grow the downtown. Been a lot of talk about that. A recent uh, note with the state employees being gone and the pandemic. But Chris is working hard too. Uh, bring things back. The other thing I noticed, we, we may, if we come back in season six, need to change the name of this podcast to people people named Chris, because this mm-hmm. is the third episode in a row I realized we've had uh, Chris. Chris Harkins, Chris Shepler, and now Chris Sell. So I think oh, next, wow. look for the podcast. We're just going to call it People We Talk To Named Chris. Can we open up, <laughs> can we do a Twitter poll uh, on the Twitter account and ask for suggestions? We need, we need Chris's. We need, we need Chris's. Whole, yes. whole Interesting Chris's in Chris's. the Lansing area. Men and women can Absolutely. be named Chris. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. We would like both. We, Chris Johnson is a staple. He's on every year. That's an easy one. So <laughs> he can come back and tell us how to breathe again. <laughs> anyway, Chris Sell. So Chris Sell, Lansing 501. Thanks for being our guest on. This is the hundredth episode of oh, the wow. Cold Oatmeal Podcast. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't really prep you for the the momentous no. occasion that you are being. Part but does of he here. win a prize as oh, a milestone? I guest? think being on the podcast <laughs> is the prize. <laughs> yeah, the there you there go. Yeah. I don't know if I'm worthy for the hundredth <laughs> episode. We have a beautiful mug for you. Yes, right there. We yes. have got a little mug oh, wow. that you can take Thank that home. You. That's amazing. Yeah. No, this has been. Five years in the making. Last yeah. last episode of the season. We we're going to go out on a hundred. We thought let's just take the summer break and a nice round number. But thanks for thanks for being with us. You bet. Thank you for the invitation and congrats again on the milestone. It's <laughs> no small achievement. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, someone de- would debate the achievement part, but it is <laughs> <laughs> it's something. It's something. So you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the last couple months and wanted to. Uh, and actually, it was during a conversation we were both in with some other folks around town last week about the, the future of downtown Lansing. I wanted to get you in to talk a bit about your group, the stuff you've got planned. And I just want to get your, your take. You work with college kids. You work with entrepreneurs. You work with people who are just leaving Michigan State. And we're trying to keep them here. And I'd just like to get your, your sense on that. So let's get started. What, what is Lansing 501? Why did, it, why did you start it? When did you start it? What yeah. did you do? Great question. So, and for context, uh, I, in my full-time role, work at Michigan State University. You mentioned working with college students and entrepreneurs. I get to work with entrepreneurship program at the university, uh, which is just amazing, right? I'm so lucky to be in that role. And MSU, 10 years ago, didn't have a program. And now we have a top-ranked, nationally-ranked program uh, that enrolls and engages thousands of students annually, which is really exciting. And it's fun because, not on purpose, but I think serendipitously, there is some overlap in my world during the day and when I moonlight as the executive director for Lansing 501 <laughs> on evenings and weekends. 
And so back to your original question, I grew up in the area and uh, spent most of my life in the region, Williamson, just down the road from East Lansing. And, but then spent the better part of a decade away from this area in Southwest Michigan was in Indiana for a summer. And lo and behold, ended up back in Lansing, literally in the city of Lansing. And for the first time in my life, I had thought I, I claimed this area. I grew up in the area, but once I found myself actually living uh, with the Lansing city of Lansing zip code, I recognized, wait a second, I actually don't know a lot about my own town. And I just started a family. My wife and I had moved to the area. She's a teacher in the community. And I had become familiar over the last 10 years in my career working in higher education, working with employers on talent attraction and retention and hiring, that there were some best practices not far from us about how to kind of promote a region and really make it a compelling uh, place for young adults to want to live and work. Um, and, and there's multiple avenues here, right, of helping kind of raise the net gain of of people living in a community, one of those is uh, trying to get folks to come back mm-hmm. or trying to get folks to relocate here who have never been here. But there's also this notion of, well, if you've got a bunch of young people living in the area, well, let's figure out how do we not let them leave. What brought um, you back? Yeah, great question. I hadn't gone too far away. I was working for my other alma mater over at Western Michigan and Kalamazoo. And my um, wife was working here in this area. Okay. So we already kind of had like a linchpin, okay. but we were living in Marshall and commuting kind of separate directions. And it was just too much. We we're kind of on our own little island. Marshall's a delightful yeah. Main Street t- town, by the way. But at the time, this was a decade ago, there was not a lot of folks like us, 24 year olds uh, <laughs> living in Marshall. Uh, I was at Dark Horse Brewery all the time with not a lot of By other yourself. people. In my yeah, exactly right. And so we really wanted to figure out how do we get to a larger metro area. And with her, again, it's hard to believe in today's climate, but a decade ago, teacher jobs were were hard to find. And so, and I, I wasn't making a lot of money. In my career, I chose to be in education as well. So we didn't really have this luxury of, well, Chris just gets a new job and we'll just move where he gets a job. We kind of needed her to have a job too. And so the easier avenue was for me to try to find something in Michigan State because uh, I knew the area. I was a graduate. I loved the university. And so um, that's how I ended up back here. Okay. And But then I, I was like, wait a second. Like, what are we doing to get other people like me to intentionally think about living and working in, in this community? And as it turns out, as I asked the question over and over again to all sorts of folks, we weren't actually doing a whole lot intentionally as a collective community um, to promote that message. And I felt like our story was undersold. I felt like Lansing still, by the way, still undersold. I think it's a wonderful place to live and work. It's a great place um, to call home. But the story, the perception out there what didn't match what we had. Um, and then I was a leadership Lansing enrollee uh, inaugural cohort of 2016 mm-hmm. facilitated by the Lansing Chamber and uh, that started in fall of 2015 and I remember we did a SWOT analysis of the community and it felt like we had a lot to offer for young families or for folks that were kind of mid-career but for folks that were in like the 21 to age you know we'll say early to mid-30s without offending anyone <laughs> it was startling that that was really our gap right that was where we had some massive room to make up. And that wasn't hard to know. I mean, I could ask my friends, all the folks that I'd befriended in college, they all were living in much larger cities than me, Seattle, uh, Detroit, Chicago, of course, um, Philadelphia. And and so um, 
It, they, it always just felt like the the conventional wisdom that you you graduate here and you go to one of those places. Yeah, it wasn't really the option to stay. It was yeah. always, always we're gonna go. I'm gonna go to Chicago. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think for decades and still it rings true today. Most of the MSU incoming students are actually in-state students, right? Mm-hmm. So upwards of three quarters of our students are from in-state, and historically we would see, uh, believe it or not close to three quarters of our graduates staying in state after graduation as well, at least right after graduation. But over the last X number of years, that has diminished a little bit. And you're right. It's because those coastal cities um, and some of those larger metro markets, even the emerging ones like a Nashville or Atlanta or Colorado, I've seen just massive growth. Mm-hmm. And so you're asking yourself, why is that? What do they have? What do they offer? Because uh, it's not cost of living. Right. Uh, right. It's not affordable housing. Uh, it's not uh, short commutes on the highway or <laughs> short or, uh, you know, low gas prices. So what is it? And it's density. It's urban core transformation. It's nightlife amenities. And I'm not saying that yeah, when I talk to folks, sometimes they're like, well, it's just like those young those young folks, those privileged young college grads, they just want luxury at their fingers. No, it's not that. It, it like they have spurned a lifestyle that for four or five decades folks got accustomed to, which was we go to cheaper land with the expansion of the highway system and we go to suburbia after we graduate, we start a family. But we saw a pendulum shift in, in the fact that young folks, students that I'm working with today or from the last 10 years when they graduate, they're not looking to start a family right away. The median age of, of folks starting a family has continued to increase, not mm-hmm. decrease over the last decade. And so um, just the, the way in which we view our place in the world and like our sense of career trajectory has changed fundamentally over the last 10 or 15 years. And so the plight of cities has changed with it. So that's a massive kind of uh, uh, context to consider. But essentially, I was thinking, I want more, selfishly, I want more young people to live here. Uh, and I think this is a great place, and I want Lansing to thrive. And so I was asking all those questions, and no one was doing anything. And so I kind of said, well, if, I'm gonna, if someone's going to do it, um, it's going to be me, or it's going to be somebody else. And I'm going to be mad, because I've been talking about it for two years. I had this idea, actually. I was at a business breakfast with the chamber and I think the mayor was there, the mayor at the time. And some folks in the room, of course, the, the, the topic was supposed to be about something not related to talent at all. But like eight minutes into it, that's how all everyone was talking about is how do we get more talent in Lansing? And, um, and people were piping up like, we should have this or that. And I kept thinking, oh man, if I don't do something soon, it was just a selfish, this is all a selfish pursuit really. This is all what it is, I guess, is that I was like, I've been stewing on this for two years. I, I got to jump at this. And so... You know, fast forward eight weeks later, I held my first meeting. I had the blessing and support of LEAP, Lansing Chamber, the CVB, mayor's office at the time. And in fact, Mayor Bonero showed up to that first meeting, and I'll never forget that meeting. Uh, and it was just fascinating to hear the discussion, but I think everyone was on the same page for the vision that I shared, which was to create some value-added programming that intentionally welcome, at the time, interns employed by employer partners in the region because uh, we had this captive audience. No one was doing anything with the thousands of young people that came to Lansing for the summer. We always think, oh, this place gets really quiet in the summer because right. all these students leave. But And that's partly true, but we also welcome thousands of young people from all over the world for summer internships or summer course credit, and we're not doing anything with them. And so uh, that's what we did. We got the corporate um, partners to buy in. I think we had... Oh gosh, eight to ten companies, many of the larger employers in the region, to sign on that first year, 
and uh, we held three events. And I think cumulatively that summer we welcomed you know close to 700 folks, um, half of whom were interns employed by uh, lo- local companies. And then we reconvened in August, September and said, was this good? Do we want to see this again? And there was a resounding yes in the room. And in fact, the employer said, we'd love to see stuff like this throughout the year. I mean, we understand summer maybe is the is kind of the busy season, but can we do other things too? And so it just evolved and grew from there. You know, it's interesting you bring up Lansing as, a, as, as, some, as an attraction for young people because my story is, I mean, it's been 20 plus years now, but I, I knew I wanted to go into politics and I lived in Indiana and I talked to someone up here who said, um, you can go to Washington, D.C. I, I wanted to go to D.C., but I couldn't afford to go to, to D.C. and, and live sure. on, a, on a brand new brand new job. And so he was like, well, you know, the next best thing to D.C. if you want to work in politics is Lansing because it's one of the very few capital cities that has a full-time legislature and has a bunch of jobs. Like Indianapolis doesn't have that many jobs. It's a, it's a, it's a legislature, but they meet a, you know, a few months every other year. So they're not hiring a, a ton of young kids out of college, but Lansing is hiring a ton of young people because it's a full-time legislature. Now you could debate whether or not we need a full-time legislature, <laughs> right? But for a, separate for, podcast for, for, for <laughs> a jobs program for young kids, it's yeah. a it's a, a great it's opportunity, huge. and it's it's, it's a huge, huge. thing. And yeah. you know, and I don't even I'm sure that it's been a while since I've been there, but you know, I, it feels like there are quite aren't quite as many young people as there there used to be. But I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting you um, raise that point. It, so in my world, again, working in higher ed with students. I became quickly familiar with programs at other large universities across the state that were literally bussing interns to Lansing three days a week for internship programs, fall, winter, and spring, unbeknownst to a whole lot of folks and civic leaders in the community. I mean, it was remarkable to see the talent kind of coming into the area, not just in the summer months, but throughout the year. I think uh, with the diminished enrollment at Cooley Law School, certainly that's um, uh, been a factor in the visibility or vibrancy of the main street part of our downtown here in Lansing. Um, but that just means in some ways silver lining, okay, what's the opportunity here then, right? Because just like with state of Michigan, if some of those employees we're kind of fast forwarding here, but if they continue to stay in a hybrid or remote work environment, that means we've got vacant spaces and vacant buildings uh, downtown that could be transformed into something different. So you've got these interns coming in. You've identified them. There's this need to engage them in, in better ways. What's what next then? What does Lansing 501 do um, at, once you've identified the talent? You know they're there. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, starting in summer 2016 till now, our programming is scaled pretty exponentially. And so that first summer, it was three events. Really, one was our own. The other two, we just tagged along with other folks' stuff. Um, but since then, we've kind of... Uh, created a comprehensive event series for each part of the year. So in the summer, we host anywhere between three to six large-scale events that are free and open to the public. We do that intentionally because uh, the more the merrier. So if you know 300 young folks go to an event where there's 1,000 folks and they're like, wow, Lansing's alive, it's happening, there's 1,000 folks here tonight, that's different than if I only invite the 300 target audience and only 300 are there, um, the bigger the better. And there's just more value add. We get some of our funding from municipal and state level funding from grants. And so because of that, we have to then make a pledge to provide access to some of our programming as well. Um, And so we do that in the summertime. And we're very intentional about our events. So we make sure that we activate and highlight unique spaces, cultural destinations, amenities, the things that we know 
from a data perspective, really matter to young people when they're making that decision about where they want to live and work after graduation or in their 20s and 30s. So we've done fashion shows at the airport hangar at the Capital Region International Airport. Why? A lot of students that I work with don't know that Lansing has an airport. Um, <laughs> and we all laugh, but it's so true. And they don't know that at the time we had a, a fashion accelerator, um, downtown Lansing. Joe's, Joe's sister is the marketing director yeah, for good, the airport. Good, so yes. good job there, Catherine. <laughs> well done. There you go. Absolutely. And I'm, we're a huge fan of the airport, right? And so this was, oh gosh, four years ago now. And so um, we got to work with the leadership of the airport at the time. And it was an incredible experience. To, we had a silent disco party in the airport hangar. It was really cool. Um, we've done an event called Rooftop Hop where we had a 300-foot zip line. And we had folks moving from venue to venue kind of experiencing uh rooftop views of the lansing what was telling is we couldn't five we couldn't find five buildings with public rooftop spaces for our event uh that's absurd uh for a community of our size i remember three years ago traveling to san francisco for my day job we were in this i don't know 20 story beautiful building that um had different office space maybe a part of a hotel in there, but I don't think so. I think it was just um, public uh, common ground area in the first floor and then office retail. But then the rooftop was open to the public. And so I asked the employer, the company that hosted us for the visit who took us to the rooftop, like, how, how did this come to be? How is it open? And she said, oh, the city has a rule that any building over X number of square feet has to offer uh, public space, rooftop space. It's it's a law. Huh. And I was like, that's amazing. We have like the antithesis of that, I feel like, in Lansing. Mm. Um, just a massive dearth of, of rooftop space. And again, this is stuff that like big cities or mid-tier market but thriving cities have public rooftop spaces. And so we got creative and we found spaces to work to give our attendees kind of the experience we were looking for. And so um, we'll do that. And then we'll also have a career component. So typically there's a networking forum or there's um, a space where our employer partners can have a booth. And so they can talk to prospective talent about continuing job or career opportunities down the road. And so our intent is to give them an experience that opens their eyes to what Lansing has to offer, what it could be. Uh, and so that when our employer partners offer those interns, for example, a job a year from now or 18 months from now, that the candidate will be much more likely to take that job because they know the other 50 percent of that part of the equation that really matters to them about like, could I see myself living and having a great time uh, in Lansing? We've we've helped solve that part of the equation um, because, again, until the 90s, really, it was like talent flocked to where the jobs were. If you got a job, you took the job and you moved to wherever that job was. But we started to see in the 90s into obviously the last two decades with Gen uh, Gen Y really leading the charge here. Uh, they were willing to, to spur the initial job offers. They were going to go to the city or the community first and then find the job. Well, that's going to be even bigger now with so, so much being remote. It's so true. And, and and I don't have I don't know if anyone has the answers. We kind of hit on this last week, mm-hmm. uh, and the dis- the discussion you were hinting at. I'm trying to figure out uh, because this isn't my full time world necessarily. There's probably some scholarship out there and some data that could point us in the direction of where things might head. But I'm super curious to know now that we've um, arrived in this hybrid work environment for a, not everyone, but for a lot of knowledge economy workers. Um, what does that relationship between job and person and community look like? Because we've kind of removed the geographic barrier, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you want to take a job for a large company, you can take that job in not all cases, but a lot of cases, you can live wherever you want. I have a best friend who, again, originally from small town Michigan, moved to Chicago after college graduation, been there for 10 years, is probably maybe going to move back to Michigan if I can get him. I don't know if it's going to be Lansing or not. Um, but he just took a job after being a, a practicing uh, physician assistant clinician for 10 years, took a job with a health tech startup, making more money, can live wherever he wants in the world. Uh, he'll, he'll probably do three or four company retreats a year. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what do we do about that, right? And so really, I, it begs the question for communities then, if you always hung your hat on, uh, we've got great employers offering great jobs at great wages, and we can argue whether or not Lansing is in that category or not, by the way. I don't think that's a, I don't, I don't know if we're there actually, but if we were, um, well, that's no longer the case. Because if I go to LinkedIn today, and look at all the jobs available to me that are targeting me, 80% of them are based all over the world and I can live in Lansing if I want. I could live in Berlin. I could live in Madrid. I could live in Seattle. I could live wherever. And so, um, you know, Lansing, any community no longer can kind of hang their hat on that. And so then it really requires us to do an inward exercise, I think, on what does our community offer Mm -hmm. to to young folks, mid-career folks, to want to live and work here uh, because if they can work anywhere why do they want to live and hang out in our community so if you had a magic wand and you could bring a couple <clears throat> two three things or change two three things about lansing that you think would make a real difference in making it a more attractive place yeah. to young people what would those couple things be <sighs> great question i think that uh, we have wonderful nonprofit partners and cultural organizations in the community. Again, in many cases, uh, undersold and undervalued. But I do think, um, so the, the mayors have this mission to kind of get this new um, cultural performing arts center built. And I think that's huge, right? That That's huge. Uh, we And we need probably three or four more um, venues of various sizes to kind of build this ecosystem for creative talent. Uh, because I think what's really glaring and this is just me, Chris, talking, right? So I don't have a ton of data on this, but um, most folks are not coming to Lansing to see concerts. They're not coming here to see art. Um, it, this is not just a place where creatives are flocking. Oh, we don't have concerts. There's nothing to come to. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's so true. I remember uh, there's a, a really well-known kind of underground artist, Martin Sexton, just an incredible vocalist and singer-songwriter, and he came to Lansing. He played at The Loft, rest in peace, The Loft. I think it was four <laughs> years ago. And he said, hey, it was like 10 minutes of the concert. He's like, Grand Rapids, great to see you. And then he, <laughs> he remembered he wasn't in Grand Rapids. Oh. He probably had never performed in Lansing before because I hadn't seen him on a, a set list here before, and I don't know if he'll ever come back. Um, but he... Uh, you know, obviously, clearly, was not used to coming to Lansing on, as part of the tour. So I think we've got to build up. Uh, I think the creative class is a real thing, and I think creatives drive economies. I think creatives they make your restaurants better because they they know aesthetics. It's not just about uh, profit loss margins. It's about how do we create an experience. What does the facade of our building look like? This all matters, right? So I, if I could major, wave a magic wand, I'd love to see like the performing arts, just the arts sector, the, like the creative component, just get a ton of cash and a ton of leadership and just blossom. Just like over, that'd be amazing. Um, I was really excited to okay. hear, not that 
I'm too old for this, but I I was excited to hear that there's that concert venue going in downtown mm-hmm. next to the Hallmark store. That, that oh, old, it's huge. That old bar that they're tearing. I was like, I asked the guy, what, what's yeah. going on here? And he said, we're turning this into a concert. But yeah. That, that's cool. That's going to be a cool thing to have downtown. It's huge. I just passed it on my way here to this uh, podcast. And the fact that within, you know, I don't know how many hundred yards, walkable, certainly, you'll have a 2,500-person venue, and then you're going to have a 750-person venue that you can walk to on the same street. That's huge, right? And to be able to see different types of musicians of different statues or class or genres in those two spaces, it's going to do wonders for nightlife and the dining scene down here. That's huge. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'd love to see way more downtown housing. You know, I remember 15 years, 10 years ago, folks would say we had one or two developers well-known who were really the only ones at the time that were really investing in downtown housing. And there would be like this perception out there, well, who lives there? Those are so expensive. Why would anyone do it? And then you ask the developers and say, well, we wouldn't build them if people weren't living in them, right? right? Like if they weren't full, we wouldn't build more. But um, they're doing all right. They're full. And so with this... um, uh, kind of paradigm we're seeing with state government going forward. Not quite sure what's going to happen there, but I think there could be some space to plop some new downtown housing that would do wonders. And not just uh, upscale apartments or lofts for 24-year-olds, right? I'm talking about multi-level housing. I'm talking about condos, like the continuum of housing that you see in sophisticated downtown environments. That is um, That would be huge. And to also help with housing in the neighborhoods that are already well-established, but some of the housing inventory uh, needs more upkeep or needs more investment. So how do we kind of help with that? I'd love to see that. So the housing, uh, the arts and creative stuff are two of the bigger things. Um, I'd love to see my own full-time employer take a more bigger investment in downtown Lansing. Uh, You know, we are a capital city and we have one of the world's largest universities three miles down the road. Um, But... Uh, for whatever reason, MSU has been completely insular, in my opinion, except for, of course, the rest of the state where you see (laughs) (laughs) MSU having great presence in other major markets across Michigan. Um, But glaringly, I think, uh, absent in our major market downtown area. I mean, even if you think of downtown East Lansing, again, don't share this with my supervisor, I guess, right away, because I'll have to caution them. But like we've we've got this beautiful Broad Art Museum, contemporary art. We put a fence around it on the part of it that's facing Grand River Avenue. So if you want to walk to it, you got to walk around the gate to the south side, like the campus side. Uh, if you think about when we had the dairy store, you know, we had two locations originally, and there was one in the Union. But to get to it, there's again like a gate. Like you got to walk to the side. There's no real parking, and then it's like the only location we have now is in this older building in the central of campus. No real signage, completely hidden. Thank goodness all the locals know about it. So um, it's kind of like if we don't say anything, everyone will come kind of phenomenon, I guess. Um, But it's building goodwill and great loyalty on the behalf of MSU, but we're not doing anything to intentionally broadcast that message and that service. And so MSU is just kind of like its own little island, Mm -hmm. whereas there could be eight buildings dotting Michigan Avenue all the way to the front steps of the Capitol with a Spartan helmet on it. Some of it could be housing for students. Some of it could be instructional spaces for, for classroom settings. Um, some of it could be auxiliary uh, enterprises, right? So why couldn't it have been? I'm not saying it was ever going to be an ice arena, but I, I, has anyone ever thought about could one of uh, MSU's sporting facilities actually be west of main campus? I don't know. But these are all things that I think could have done wonders for the community. 
and, and I'd love to see MSU take a further stake in the ground going in that regard down the road. So shifting a little blame here from MSU to Lansing City Government. Yeah. Why are they so unwilling at times to work with anyone who wants to bring this kind of thing downtown? I'm, I'm thinking of the example, Albert Alfresco, where they have the outside space in downtown East Lansing. During COVID, they tried to make that downtown here. And my understanding is they said no. Gotcha. So I'm not familiar with that conversation. Um, you know, it's interesting because I've also had interesting experiences working with city of East Lansing government uh, from uh, the perspective of working with Lansing 501. I think from our perspective, over the last couple of years, we've had a great working relationship with city of Lansing government. They've been thrilled at whatever we could do in downtown Lansing. That's why, and maybe eventually this could be a segue into talking about some of our events coming up in the next few months, but last summer, still kind of in the heart of the pandemic, if you will, we did an event in partnership with Downtown Lansing Inc. called Blockade. Uh, the whole intent was to bring aid and support and visibility to several blocks of Downtown Lansing that had just been decimated by the pandemic. And I remember it was like April, we were planning the event, and you know, at the time, I think you couldn't have gatherings over like a hundred people. Masks were required everywhere. And I was like, oh my God, we're planning an event for like a thousand people. Like, what are we doing? Like, are we even able to do this event five weeks from now? And it, it was just like, it just worked out. I remember it was beautiful weather. It was like 85 degrees. Frankly, too warm for me because I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of humidity. But nevertheless, everyone came out. It was like everyone came out for after two years of hiding. And so we... I think we had close to 2,000 or more folks come out that night uh, because we closed down three blocks of the street. And the city was uh, wonderful to work with. Like uh, Public Works Office, the Mayor's Office, um, Downtown Lansing Inc. did everything they could do. There was no roadblocks, no pun intended, to close down those streets and to activate the spaces however we could uh, that night. And then they liked it so much that they actually asked us to do it more. Um, and so that's, that's why this year we're actually doing blockade on downtown Lansing and Washington Square two times, once in June and once in September. Um, I hear, uh, back to your original question, like, I, I, you know, I've, I, I hear about parking. We heard about parking last week. I kept my mouth shut <laughs> because I can't stand talking about parking. I like, <laughs> I, I just, didn't we win a contest a couple years ago? Like if, if you national, want to call it winning. Yeah, right? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The, the online, the, the most part surface parking lots in of any city. Yes, like per, per square foot or whatever. Correct. Yeah. Laughable, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's it right there. And so I think I've gotten tickets parking at Washington Square. I might get one today. It's ten bucks, right? Like it's the cost of doing business. Like I talk to my friends, and if they want to park anywhere in Chicago, like it's just it sucks. You you just can't park. Right. It's just what it's just the way it is. It's a cool city. You deal with it. Um, and so I can't. When people gripe about, well, there's not enough parking, I'm like, you're, you, that's wrong. Like, you you don't know what you're talking about. Or if they say it's costly, and I'm like, it's not. And it's just, I mean, could we figure out ways to be more strategic about it? And how does it dovetail with infrastructure that we need or that we're trying to build up? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm, I don't know if I could more adequately answer your original question because I think the city of Lansing historically uh, has worked well with us to. Um, showcase the city and downtown Lansing in really creative ways. Um, that's not to say that there might be uh, ways that the city could work better with its citizens or its business owners or patrons to um, provide more support. Yeah. 
I think the moral of the story is you've got to know the fixer. And if you talk to him, you know. You can, you can I won't ask account. my parking question. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to skip that. Awesome. So I was going to ask, so Lansing will obviously never be like a Chicago, but is there a city out there that you're like, man, if we could just get on like Des Moines, is there like a model city out there that you think is like something to strive for? Wouldn't that be funny if I was like, Des Moines, that's it. Um, So there's there's a few communities that I visited or that we've researched that seem to be good benchmarks. Toledo is a city that I know some of the folks here have even visited in the last couple of years that recognize the growth there and that there's some similarities between their size market and ours. Um, everyone talks about Madison because it's a capital city with a big 10 university. Uh, obviously some differences there just in how the things were set up, frankly. Um, but that's a city we can look at Columbus. Uh, there's some similarities, uh, obviously a lot of uh, insurance, financial services uh, sector in Columbus just like we have here in Lansing area. Those are a few that come to mind right away. I know last week we were talking about Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think when you look at these communities, they've got great diversification of industry and of socioeconomic status. Um, and so Lansing, for better or for worse, has been really reliant on a couple main industries for a really long time. And it, it may be finally really just cost us uh, with this most recent pandemic. And and so maybe that will help us going forward. I mean, uh, God willing, that could maybe, maybe be a silver lining after all of the um, challenges that uh, that's brought over the last couple of years. Um, I, I do think that there's an opportunity there. Um, and, and I think it's about leveraging the riverfront. I think some of the major companies and philanthropists have to take a leading a vocal role in kind of getting the collective group to buy into a vision. Um, and I think it has to be a well-represented vision. Um, I've seen other communities not far from us that have had major philanthropy and um, serious investment from industry and from people. Um, but then what happens is if it's not, uh, if there's not well-represented voices in those movements, then you end up with conversations about, uh, oh, have we, um, made uh, have we worsened the equity equation in our community, or have we become less diverse? Is uh, do we have a homogenous voice represented right now with where we're putting our resources? And so I think um, that's something we have to be mindful of. Like if we ever want to take a collective approach, and we find some folks to kind of help lead the charge on this with with resources and money and time. We have to make sure that all the communities at hand are really well represented. I wonder if the state government thing actually is going to be an opportunity. And I, I, how much in the past private sector employers looked at downtown and said, well, we don't need to go downtown or there's no place to go downtown because there are 30,000 state employees downtown. And now that they're not here, first of all, things are going to be pretty affordable, I would have to think. Space is going to be think. affordable. And I wonder, yeah. like, now, okay, now there's now there's space. Now there's a vacancy. And people who, you know, I don't know what Jackson National or auto owners or what those guys were thinking mm-hmm. when they built their the gigantic, you know, new places just on the outside of town. But maybe in the future that would be a place that they would come bring downtown. I think so. And I asked this question. I really don't know the answer. I mean, when Dan Gilbert relocated Quicken from Livonia back to downtown Detroit, and this would have been, what, 10, 12, 15 years ago, something like that. Uh, I mean, was he asking the same question? Like, because there weren't tons of other companies flocking to downtown. Um, He certainly was a trailblazer in that regard. And so what gave him the faith to make that investment? 
Um, what did he see that he thought would make it not just good for the city, but you know, also profitable for him? Um, because I think we have to look at all of those angles when we make our pitch to companies of if they're not seeing what they want to see already, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I want to relocate to downtown Nashville right now because it's, it's hopping. Right. I get it. But um, why are you going to make the investment to downtown Lansing if you're not seeing what you want right now? Um, what do you need to see? And by the way, if you make that investment, it's kind of, the, we talk before about chicken or before the egg. Like if you make that investment, it could actually spur some of the other stuff we want to see. We just need someone to kind of, plant that flag in the ground and take that risk what's the maybe this is you've already answered this but what is the big your biggest pet peeve of the, the things that you hear like the one thing you hear the most often about lansing the perception or misperception that annoys you the most mm. that you think is that is holds us back or you know you wish people would just stop saying hmm. that's a good question i don't know i i guess so I just turned 37, right? So like, I'm not even my own target audience probably, right? <laughs> I mean, not just age, but like married three kids, like or we've got roots, right? Like it's going to take something ginormous to pull us away from here. So, but what did I say in my 20s and 30s when I was here and all my friends were in Seattle and Chicago and San Francisco? And they'd be like, yeah, what, really? Moving to Lansing? I think they commonly would say there's nothing to do. And candidly, there is probably, to a degree, there's some kernel of truth there. Yeah. Because they're, what do they mean by that? Let's unpack that. They meant, well, there's not really any concerts to go to, uh, right? There's, there's, there's not like a ton of dining, right? I think um, it bothered me because I knew it wasn't totally true, but perception is reality. And we didn't and still don't have the density that a lot of those other communities had. So I always drew the, this example for folks to help illustrate the point. If someone asks you, what is like, you know, what are the t top 10 restaurants in our community? I'll just leave it broadly. So when I say community, I could say, you could interpret that however you want. East Lansing, Lansing, Rio Town, Okemos, whatever. Um, you might arrive to 10 eventually. It might take you a little bit longer than other places. And, but they're going to be scattered. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why it would take you so long to come up with them is not because we have no good restaurants in our community. Um, it's because they're like all over in bizarre, weird places <laughs> that require car transportation right. and are not like easily findable by like wayward, like pedestrian traffic, right? <laughs> like for forever, we've had some really cool restaurants in the Hanna Plaza. Like, <laughs> right. right? Like no one downtown Lansing is like, I'll take a bus or walk to Hannah Plot. No, like it's like you have to purposely think of it and drive there on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon. Um, and so sometimes you just forget about them. To a really butt ugly strip mall. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just a not. It's it's not it's not going to win any awards today right. uh, for Main Street development. We'll put it that way. Um, but I, but like amazing businesses, right? Like some really great mm -hmm. uh, restaurants that you, you couldn't find elsewhere. <laughs> like so cell, think, cell phone barbecue that's yeah. what i was thinking yeah yeah there you go right um or like red haven yeah right right yeah. like there's like a farm across the street mm -hmm. right and it's like this kind of weird not weird but odd kind of development right there and again i i can't walk to it probably from any major corridor or downtown area 
Um, and so sometimes I forget about it, but it's a delightful, you know, farm. To, is that one of our only farm to table restaurants? Probably. I don't know. And so I think um, that's, so that's like a personal pet peeve that I think is partly true that like the density thing has just been severely lacking and credit to a few developers that have tried to um, fill in some of the gaps in downtown uh, stadium district has seen, you know, from what I understand 20 years ago, the stadium district, a, it wasn't called the stadium district, but B, it was looked nothing like it does today. Right. Uh, and so I think um, there's been some major progress. But I, I guess, yeah, when people would tell me there was nothing to do, it bothered me because I knew it wasn't true, but we weren't doing a good job of sharing the story. We, and we were doing ourselves a disservice in how we are literally planning our community. Um, and I, I think that bothered me. What I've known to be true for the last 10 years, this is a wonderful place to raise a family. I think it has everything that I can need. I mean, when you're 32, it's like if you have three breweries or 10, it doesn't matter. You've got enough because you're not going to go to them that often anyways because you're changing diapers and not sleeping, right? It's just you know, like you're, you're getting grub up delivered to your house. And right. so, um, yeah, those are some of my thoughts about that, I guess. So you got a big summer ahead, a big run, run down again the events you've got because there's yeah. – there's the the fish ladder thing, which I didn't know about until you told me about that. That oh, that sounds cool. So you got the the, the blockades happening in September and in June. Yeah. yeah. What else is going? on? Absolutely. So we've got the blockade event kicking things off June second. Free event open to the public. Probably a couple thousand folks if the weather cooperates. Blocking off three or four blocks of downtown Lansing, Washington Square. Three pop up uh, performing arts concert stages. Um, it's going to be like a street festival. Like we always use the inspiration of Disney Springs. Uh, over at Walt Disney World. So it's just sights and sounds everywhere, right? All kind of bleeding together. And so we just want people to be able to walk up and down Washington Square and take it all in. And so uh, it's really exciting. All the businesses here at Washington Square are going to be um, have a kind of a presence. There's going to be vendors, um, employer partners are going to have job booths or tables, hot yoga, cooking classes, you name it. Uh, and then we're going to go to July. And like you mentioned, we've got, this is the one event we've done annually or an iteration of it. I think four years now, four or five years. It's called the Dam Jam. It's a three night music festival. It takes place at the Fish Ladder in Old Town Lansing. Um, incredible venue. And we saw it as this perfect opportunity to activate it as a concert stage. So we've done that now. And this year, from an infrastructure perspective, will be the biggest yet that we've ever done. We're bringing in three um, like up and coming uh, performing artists, uh, pop country artists from Nashville for that opening night. So it's going to be a ticketed event um, that first night, which we've never done before, but $10 to see three amazing artists from Nashville. Um, you can't beat it. And then it's Friday and Saturday night, July 15th and 16th will be free, open to the public. And again, you just show up to the fish ladder, get to watch some amazing concerts in this incredibly unique venue. And the riverfront's right there. Uh, we think there's going to be some water taxis potentially going up and down the river that Saturday night. There's another event happening downtown Lansing by Rotary Park that we're going to make sure we're collaborating with. So that's really exciting. Um, and then we'll move to August 6th. Uh, we are going to host an event last week, actually, called Rosé All Day. But Michigan weather <laughs> intervened. And so we rescheduled for Saturday, August 6th. It takes place at the Cooley Art or the Cooley Gardens. Beautiful gardens. A lot of folks don't know about in the city of Lansing, right by the riverfront. And we will uh, have a bunch of vendors. Uh, so it's Michigan's Rosé Wine Festival. That's that's what we've built it. And we'll have performing artists, a drag show, artisan vendors market. It's awesome. And so you can buy tickets for that now through August 6th. 
And then September 22nd is when we have our uh, second blockade event right here, downtown Lansing. Might have some few surprises that night, different from the June 2nd event. Still planning some of those specifics. And I should mention, by the way, Lansing 501 uh, hosts the Grand River Connection event series as well. So we've talked about the summer programming. We also host our Capital Comeback event series in the fall around the Thanksgiving holiday where we intentionally welcome back kind of former Lansing uh, residents or folks that maybe grew up in the area, went to MSU, Davenport, you name it, and help them, again, understand why Lansing is a great place to live and work, connect with employers. But the Grand River Connection event series happens year-round, and it allows us to host a monthly networking program, usually on the fourth Tuesday of every month. Sometimes that changes, but typically the fourth Tuesday. And it's real simple. It's, it's just following the footsteps of the folks that founded GRC 10, 15 years ago which was let's find a different venue or bar somewhere in Lansing or East Lansing and give visibility to the place, give a safe space for folks to come together, meet new people, network, and uh, it's free. And so uh, our next GRC event is uh, tonight, actually, uh, Tuesday, the last Tuesday of May, and it's at Zuby's, uh, one of the best patios in town, you probably would all agree. And so we're going to be out there slinging duck fat fries and Endless truffle popcorn, cash bar. It's a great place for folks to come and gather and network and meet new people. And what's been neat for me since we started hosting GRC in person uh, five, six months ago, we've been doing it virtually for a year during the pandemic. Last six months, it's been so fun because I'm seeing the community build and I'm seeing returning guests, if you will. And so I see those folks that are seeing value in coming back every month because it's it's a it's a safe space for them to meet new people and make new friends and and I love it. I just it's so different from our blockade event where we're gonna have twenty five hundred people show up. Right, we might get forty or fifty tonight if, um, but it's just so valuable I think for this region to know that oh yeah every month there's a safe space where you can go and connect with people your age and in your season of life mm-hmm. um, and so I'm so thr- thrilled and, and proud uh, for hosting that program throughout the year as well so uh, every month of the year we've got something and I think folks come to new us as a summer thing for interns but you know now we're welcoming you know close to six seven eight nine thousand folks year-round at all of our programming cool exciting stuff Lansing 501, Chris Sell, thanks for stopping by the Cold Old Mill Podcast. Episode 100, well done. Thank you all. Yeah, good luck to someone. (laughs) We'll be right back. So Chris Sell, that was awesome. He's a good guy. Yeah. A lot going on. Joe will see you there, I'm sure. June 2nd. What day is that? Is that June Thursday? June 2nd. Yes, it's a Thursday. Yes. <laughs> is that the Rosé All Day event? No, that you was had to moved. Reschedule that's that. fun. I you went know, last that year. That was moved. That's going to be in the summer. Rained out a couple okay. weeks ago. Did oh, you, you, guys, you all can spare my, or don't spare my feelings. Am I too old to go to these events? No. Yes. <laughs> Why is he too old? Well, because that you know, they, it, he's Chris you, is appealing to the the intern crowd, the young professionals. Oh, am I too old? Kind of an under thirty vibe. Kind of an under thirty vibe. Oh. So I, I think you were. Emily too just old. said I think yes. You I'm were too old, old like twenty years ago. <laughs> I let you infer from that. Thank you. But what about us older thirties? What do we get? Yeah. 
I want cool things. I'm fascinated to see who's there. I'm going just to see who (laughs) who are these 2,000 people who are going to be there. That'll be fun. I'm still of the age where I think it's amazing that the lug nuts exist and we have minor league baseball. (laughs) That's true. Remember what a disaster that area was before the baseball stadium was built. So wish them well with other things. So before we get into uh, Emily and and Zach and their reminiscence of being our pilot and first episode, I I wanted to ask, do you feel like you owe our listenership an apology from the last time you were on the episode, (laughs) from the the fake news you were spreading about uh, Tropo? Multiple multiple fact errors about the history of Of where Tropo was. was. Uh, Yes, I am deeply saddened. in fact, my, um, my landlord, Gongwar's landlord, is Chris Elliott, oh and boy. he was in my inbox <laughs> shortly after that landed, reminding me. What was his first name? There's another Chris. Um, that uh, it would have been in downtown East Lansing, not the Eastwood Town Center. And uh, you know, one of my mentors once said, you never want to report off of memory, and it looks like I... Uh, uh, failed there. So yes, I, I put my head into my desk a couple times in agony and I am very sorry to the cold oatmeal listenership. Uh, I, I don't know what your corrections process is, but I'm prepared to go this through it. News alert. One, 100, this is our first correction. This is the oh first boy. thing we got, we've gotten wrong in oh 100 episodes. So there you go. Um, you, you all heard it here first. So I asked Zach and Emily to be with us because you know, again, for the 10,000th time, this is our 100th episode. And Zach was willing to be the very first person when I said, we're going to, we're going to do this little podcast thing. Would you be our pilot? Guest? This was before we even committed to episode one. We just wanted to see if we could pull this off and listening back to it. We didn't, but Zach was, <laughs> Zach was very willing to come in and talk about it. And Emily was then our first formal guest a few, a couple months later. I remember when you called and you said, oh, it's kind of this creative, I just, you know, it's kind of a creative outlet for us. We're just playing around with it. We're not really sure. Just come on, talk about what you do. Maybe we'll talk about burpees. I remember that was part of the pitch. Talk about burpees. We'll talk about burpees. We don't have to do any burpees. We're just going to talk about them. Yeah, I just remember um, (laughs) it it was listened to by a few people. Maybe some of them were the last name Gorchow. Uh, You know, my my dad, so he listened to He was like, that was really fascinating. I was like, thanks, Dad. (laughs) Great. Um, You know, I just remember thinking you had a lot of really good questions. It was fun to talk about sort of reliving uh, some of the points along the way in my career, or even questions like, what was the f- first news story you remember? I remember that was a question I, I tried to put a decent amount of thought into. It was really interesting. And yeah, I, I do remember, I, I, you know, I obviously have no idea how it went from a technological standpoint or whatever, but I remember thinking afterward, I was like, they, they could do this. This, oh. they, you know, this, this seemed to be normal. You know, I had done a lot of radio and tv and so forth not usually talking about myself but uh, i remember thinking afterward that uh, this this could be a thing this could work and and we're a big hit with dads apparently yeah my dad my dad loves it i get i get my little short you guys have grown though in popularity and awareness i mean when i run into people i'm like hey i heard you on the cold oatmeal podcast and i always love they're like oh you listen to that (laughs) (laughs) the shock the shock (laughs) that's true it's like ooh, thanks Matt, you get approached a lot about it. Yeah, I do. I surprisingly a lot yeah. from people I wouldn't expect, which is which is cool. You always want to be a celebrity, and look at there you, you go. Yeah. Here I am, yeah. Lansing celeb. You're a topic of our book club sometimes. The Cold Oatmeal oh, Podcast. Oh wow! You know, we got you a couple fans. We got a couple fans in there, and they'll say, "Did you listen? Did you hear this? This is what was talked about." Well, that was that led to Carrie 
Debano being our Christmas guest a That's couple right. years ago when Santa came and, and surprised her. <laughs> well, I have a question. <laughs> when do you feel like you started getting traction? Like this went from being... I We're think about, in about messing 15 around. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did you feel like the, the podcast was starting to, you know, get some traction? You know, I sh- I should have gone back and looked at the whole list. I'm not sure. I, I know. I'm not sure. I know. I think it felt to me like when we did the cold turkeys, because mm-hmm. then we we had the we had um, John Osting and and uh, Shana. And who else was on I think there? it was oh, me. That was you. <laughs> it was the golden turkey. So there's the second golden factor turkeys. on your podcast. It morphed. It morphed into the cold turkeys. Oh, okay. It became. It started. The original idea was the golden turkeys, but then we decided to go into cold turkeys um, because I think okay. someone made that joke. Anyway, and the topic twister thing. Topic twister with with Megan. That Holland. was around the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think the key was early on is to get lots of people on it. Uh, and reporters are key because reporters like to tweet this, their stuff out. You may not know this. Right. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, Never done it. They're, very, they're, they're a little no self-promotional. <laughs> they're a little self-promotional, so they like to tweet out the things that they do, and so that always gets that always gets lots of traction. Yeah. Did you have the Lansing Facts people on once? Was that an we episode? Mm-hmm. That to me was that's when I felt like <laughs> this was hitting critical mass. <laughs> like there was this union of maybe what was becoming the preeminent podcast about things in Lansing and the preeminent. Lansing Twitter account and it's like this <laughs> joining together. of forces. I can, I can get on board with that theory. That works. I like your mix though. I like that you have a lot of like inside Lansing stuff. The restaurants of course was a great episode. The graveyards. Um, but then because I'm still a big fan of the tourism <laughs> industry like you know you have Shepler's or I loved the beer one with shorts. That was brewery. Matt's favorite. I like that Matt's favorite. Yeah, yeah I like that you have a good mix of, of your content. Well it's interesting to see the ones that get the clicks the most clicks because there's really no rhyme or reason but like Lansing Insiders, people love the lobbyist crew loves one another lobbyist is on there. That's when I hear the most is when some one of them is on because they all like to want to talk about themselves, and so that's what they they love those. There's so many stories yeah. that they probably don't share, but yeah. there's just so many. And then there are the ones that are like like the murder the Marty Links yeah Marty Links book yeah. from that was that one was huge because that was just bigger than that was bigger than Lansing. It was a cool creepy story, so. Have you read her other books? Her uh, I haven't. Wit- Wicked Takes the Witness Stand is about a Gaylord murder in the 80s. And actually in the book, um, you have Frank Kelly, like the AG has to get involved in the investigation. And there's some you know Lansing wow. names thrown around. And then she wrote one about a little town in uh, Leelanau County, Isidore. Isidore's secret about a murdered pregnant nun buried in the basement of a church. Oh, Whoa. wow. Whoa. Those sound interesting. Yeah. Next season. If you have her back, if you have her That's back. That's right. Yeah, she was great. No, I, I've I've always been really grateful that the random people who I don't know, Joe Short being one of them, like just they don't know he doesn't know who I am. I just, I've eaten there a lot, but I just send him a <laughs> send him a random email. Hey, do you want to talk on this podcast you've never heard of that six people listen to? And he's like, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. How I'm much like, of really? a sell was Sal the skunk guy? Because that was a hysterical episode. How hard? How hard? How hard was, of a sell? Did he did he say yes right away or did you? He, have he to... was here in no time. Well, Joe knew him because he <laughs> right. was like living in Joe's house. <laughs> I feel like he was like it was like he almost had done them before. He's like, oh, do you guys do video? Like, what's your video component look like? And he, he had like a whole bunch of like technical questions right off the bat, and then he was so good, it felt like this was like his. Tenth podcast. And next time we have him, on, we should do it live from the alligator farm. Yeah, yeah. The hardest part about Sal is just he's so busy because he's he's rescuing families from pets, and, dragons, and dragons all the time. That he was just a hard guy <laughs> to get a hold of. But the other one I sort of remember thinking this podcast is taking off. Was it like Peter Spadafore binged like every mm. episode yes. in like 
a day or, or something ridiculous. He like one after the other after the other. I was like, wow. I was like, you know, it's a it's a good podcast, but this shows like it's really <laughs> taking Peter's off because I can always tell when either Peter is sitting by the pool um, in the summer or like on is on the um, treadmill is when he tends to to listen to bulk episodes. Hmm. But it's, it'll listen like six months later, and so I'll get random, completely out of <laughs> yeah. out of context text from him saying right. for correcting something or saying something about an episode that happened a month ago. So, well, cool. Well, thank you both for coming by. This is. Fun. Oh, Zach, we'll see you next week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, you don't need to come. We are taking the summer off, so you don't right. need to come okay. back for your, your regular time for the next, <laughs> the next episode. Do you have any, you look like you're going to say something? Yeah. I couldn't sleep last night, and so I went to some weird parts of the internet. And should we save this might, for next season? Well, I was going to, yeah. So there might be an Adele update. So I was just going <gasps> to ask if this happens, oh. are we going to come back and do like a special episode? If there's an Adele, a legit Adele update, yeah. we could probably pull out this, pull this stuff out for the summer and do it quick. Because people want to know that, right? I think so. Right. I, I told so her. What? I thought about it in the know. grocery store. I saw an Adele story and I was like, oh, what kind of an update? Like new album? Should we just hear it now? No. Well, yes. So, yeah. So she, <laughs> there are rumors she's going to pick up her Vegas show around Christmas oh. at a different venue. Oh. Different hotel, different. Still in Vegas? Production company, still in Vegas. Yes. Oh. There are rumors. Rumors. Is she going to fill Aerosmith's spot? No. Mm-hmm. So she now, now she's setting up to kill the Christmas of all of her fans. Yeah. She already <laughs> killed <like> our <laughs> spring, spring break. I'm, yeah. I'm not even excited because I just don't believe her. Well, she plays point. Hyde Park in London in a few weeks. Okay. So either she gets so she actually break, does a that great trip. Yeah. Out or <laughs> Why don't we do that? I, tr- I tried, but I got the hours messed up. <laughs> <laughs> the time difference? Well, yeah, I was like, I know, okay, it's like 5 p.m. or something, but I was misremembering that obviously their 5 p.m. is different than ours. <laughs> <laughs> so I missed it. But and I got the Vegas ones, dang it. And Anna, maybe we you should still take over them. travel arrangements for the next for the next trip. Anna is in charge of our travel arrangements. Oh, okay. <laughs> I already was. She, um, she was like, can Robert give me directions on how to take care of you? <laughs> that seems like a lot. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. So her album sales are doing poorly because her fans are kind of turning on her. Mm-hmm. So Good. her team is telling her you have to rebook this. So mm. maybe Christmas, Nikki and I will be. Yeah, we'll be in Vegas. Okay, so we'll schedule around. We'll schedule next episodes, Chris, Christmas episodes around. Maybe that could be our Christmas episode. Yes. Yeah. You could call in from Adele. That'd be great. Okay, now we got to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so for the, the crew, for Anna and Nick, and for uh, Nikki, Joe, this has been Matt, uh, Stephanie, Laura, and Carly aren't with us, but we miss them. Emily, Zach, thanks so much for being with us on episode number 100. Chris Sell, guy's named Chris. <laughs> Good times. This has been Matt Resch, and this is the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Like a dream